Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A-U-N. American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human god to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human god, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger lie, the public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, it's the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dean Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Comet Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Uh, Suddenly, it turned cold here in Chicago. We had 70 degrees earlier today, and I'm bundled up in my car here in Darien, Illinois, pretty far from Chicago. I'm trying to get back home. But uh, we are uh, right in the thick of, a, of, of a, a lot of changes that are going on with the release of the Mueller report and, uh, and the pushback from, from the Democrats in Congress, the crazy kangaroo court that's going on. Uh, all of us have witnessed uh, the, the powerful things that one individual can do a one individual like trump you know one individual like ron paul one individual like bob schultz and uh we have on the show tonight as a special guest one individual in the name of mick grady who quietly behind the scenes over the years has worked a an amazing web of connections to support the cause of veterans working closely with me at Crosby is just one example, but so many other examples are out there. And he is uh, patiently and uh, conservatively and quietly working to lay a groundwork for an an initiative that uh, if it starts here in Chicago, and and this is a great time to have it start with this Jesse Smollett and the corruption highlighted here in Chicago, but we have a problem in our local courts and in our state courts and in our national federal courts. It's because people are not supporting each other and uh, especially our our veterans are not being supported. So uh, what better thing could a veteran do when he's up in age, but to get involved and get connected. And Mick has a great idea and he's going to share it in a very short presentation tonight because we've got to wrap it up within an hour or he does. And and I got to get back home, but Mick, thanks for coming on. And uh, we laid into the email on our newsletter 
<clears throat> which is also posted on our website, uh, the resolution for Monaghan and, and the whole concept idea that you laid out, not the email that you sent to a local news affiliate, which I won't mention, but uh, uh, I think this idea has, has a lot of merit, and uh, thank you for coming on the call to present it. That's okay, Fred. Um, we need to go back a long way. <clears throat> the uh, concept I have is um, including the veteran community in a, a project that I have personally experienced um, over the last two years with a gentleman, John Monahan, and also with Ed Crosby, um, uh, as working with veterans and a couple of veterans from Vietnam had relatives, uh, their daughters were involved in family court cases that um, were losing their children in court through just incredible circumstances and watching these lawyers work, um, discovering what's going on in these family courts. Um, and at least five cases I watched where there was nothing more than motion practice. No material fact evidence was ever entered into the record, nothing. And um, quite a bit of it was hearsay. You know, somebody calls a DCFS, DCFS fills out a document and doesn't sign it. So we have nobody with firsthand knowledge um, as a witness testifying to any type of uh, abuse or anything. It's just a document signed by no one. And then the court then acts and takes these kids away from absolutely innocent people. And uh, um, discovering this, um, it's pretty shocking when you're in that courtroom and you're watching this go on. Uh, then we went to file evidence into the court and discovered that um, quite a bit of this evidence, uh, you, the court clerk's office would give you nothing but grief to um, trying to file it. And, uh, and the other thing is they, they would require you to... Um, pay uh, quite a bit of money to file this stuff. So one of the tricks we've discovered in court with veterans is um, to make a public document, we would file our evidence in the county recorder's office. And then under Supreme Court Rule of Evidence 902 and 1005, a uh, public document uh, has, the judge has no discretion to not allow a public document in the record of the court. Usually when you go into court, the judge has absolute discretion. And what they do is they, if you have a document that's very um, pertinent to your case and is, even if it's material fact evidence, the judge a lot of times will say, you know, I'm not going to allow that. I don't think it's relevant. And so now how are you going to win the case when the evidence you have to absolutely prove your side or your argument is thrown out by this judge's discretion? So using this rule that uh, former Marine JAG officer and formerly the, he was the um, second lead prosecutor in Watergate, head of the Justice Department, Robert Allen Jones, taught us. Um, we, we were slaughtering them in court when they tried to pull their discretion. Um, so when we got to this family court, we find out that the new court, uh, the new court um, recorder, in Chicago will no longer let you file or make a public document. So uh, um, it seems like every time we came up with something to overcome the challenge, they would just simply add a rule and take that away. Well, you know, we would point this out as we did recently to the court clerk that uh, Mulberry versus Madison and, and uh, Miranda versus Arizona say there can be no rulemaking abrogating my constitutionally protected rights. Well, they don't care. And um, so as we're watching this, I'm bringing veterans into the court, and they're getting angrier and angrier. And a friend of mine, Mr. John H. Monahan, was the former secretary of the Democratic Party for Proviso Township here in Chicago, which is one of the biggest townships in the country, if not the biggest. And uh, Mr. Monaghan was a 27-year Air Force veteran, 
three tours in Vietnam. When one of those tours included um, being uh, uh, in Vietnam during the siege of Khe Sanh, where uh, a whole group of Marines were surrounded by over 100,000 North Vietnamese, and they were cut off for weeks. And Mr. Monahan's Air Force battalion had C-130s, and they would have to fly supply missions to keep these guys full of ammunition and, um, and medical supplies and food. And uh, it was around the clock. And, uh, and, and the C-130 couldn't even land in Quezon. They would have to do a rolling land where they would roll on the, on the runway, and they would push the cargo and everything out the door. And the Marines would have to run out under fire and get all those supplies and bring it back to where they were, they were uh, bivouacked or their positions were. But anyway, Mr. Monahan also had terrible PTSD because out of the 58,000 soldiers that were killed in Vietnam, John probably loaded uh, close to one-third, if not close to a half of those flag-draped caskets, and he had terrible nightmares of caskets with flags on it. So John, being a, just a great guy, started going to court with me. John also was worked in the clerk's office in downtown in the court system. <laughs> so when he started seeing the shenanigans going on in the court, he just retired. And matter of fact, he was asked to retire because it was Mr. Monahan who had a fight with um, the head of the board, Gene Moore, that brought the unions into the court. So all the court clerks became unionized. Um, after John, he won the case, but then he was fired. Or early retirement is the uh, Chicago way of that word. Um, so John was now uh, not doing anything, so he said, Nick, I want to go to court with you and see what's going on. And when he went to court, he was sick to his stomach. And um, he said, you mean, Nick, all these guys fought and died for this court system to do this to these little girls and to do this to us. And I said, John, well, that's, that's just what's going on. I don't know how to, what to tell you. So John said, well, we got to do something about this. John was a person of action. He was not one to sit on the sidelines. And uh, Mr. Monaghan um, said, well, what do we do? I said, he goes, I don't want these little girls. They don't have any money for attorneys. They're in their pro se by themselves. And these judges, you know, in the, in the family court system, if you're a girl and you even bring up the word abuse, the whole court system does a complete 180 on you, and now you are struggling to survive in that court. They look at you like you're a liar, and you are making this abuse allegations up so that you can get a bigger chunk of the, uh, of the old man's money, and uh, they don't say anything, investigate, or any way, shape, or form believe you that abuse occurred, unless it's so blatant that uh, they cannot deny the material fact evidence. So the court system does this 180, and they just abuse, you know, I see these judges so biased against these women, the stuff that comes out of their mouth is sickening. So um, what John would say, well, what can we do about this bias, Nick? I said, well, uh, John, I don't know unless we get some people as witnesses. So Mr. Monaghan had this brilliant stroke of genius. And John said, well, what if we bring the veterans into the court? And what if we wear our medals, the medals that uh, we actually get in our little box when we go home, not the bars on our uniform, because obviously if you're not in the military, you don't know what those bars on anybody uniform stand for. You know, they're all in different they kind of look like barcodes in the grocery store with different colors. And uh, so John suggested, you know, Nick, I have a purple heart. I got a, I got a uh, combat um, five major campaigns in Vietnam. I have all these air medals. So he, John would set out to um, shame and get a bunch of his guys that didn't want to do anything to go to court. And when they saw what was happening to these girls, um, that was the end of it. These veterans got angry. And um, so John would have these veterans in court 
And uh, what happened was when these little girls with no lawyers or no chance in hell are winning against this onslaught, um, the only thing John could think of doing was to let these girls know that they were here for him. So uh, John would, like, we would we would sit in the courtroom all over the place, like the peanut gallery, and we would have, we would go through the metal detector when we went to court, and then they would pull all the medals out after the metal detector, pin their medals on their shirts, and they would wear their their organizational shirts at their American meeting, BFW, et cetera, et cetera. They had their little hats. Some of them didn't have any of that. They just wore their Vietnam veterans or Iraq Afghanistan hats. And um, they would go into court, and they, with their medals pinned on, they would wear a big baggy shirt over the top of the medals. They would sit in the, sit in the courtroom, and they knew the name of the girl. So when the, when the bailiff would call, uh, okay, case, Diana, da-da, versus, da-da, um, John would say, gentlemen, and, and everybody would stand up in the courtroom at attention with their hats on. They put their hats on, they take their overshirts off so all their medals are showing, and they would stand up. Well, you know, there wasn't a lot of us. It was five to maybe seven guys at the most. But seven guys make a lot of noise standing up in the courtroom when they yell Penn Hut and um, it scared the bejeebers out of the judge and the Cook County sheriffs. And they were like, what the hell was going on? And then when the little girl would get to the podium, John would yell, gentlemen, at ease. And everybody would sit down. It was, it was hysterical because you don't know how much noise seven guys can make sitting down. It was a kabloop. And, um, and that judge knew that that little girl had seven or eight great big brothers in that courtroom and the whole dynamics of that courtroom changed. And, um, and we weren't really on anybody's side. We were just there like parents in the courtroom because these lawyers and these judges, they, they are just not capable of behaving themselves. And, and they, had, they have no fear, and they have uh, no idea that any retribution can come even at them. So they sit there, and they just own that courtroom. And um, I was in a courtroom when the judge stated this. <laughs> he made this mistake. He said, this is my courtroom, and you will do what I tell you. And one of the veterans obviously was uh, a little smarter and had some legal knowledge. I think he was in the real estate. And he told the judge, he says, this is your courtroom. He goes, can you show me the general warranty title deed to this court? Because if this is your courtroom, we're obviously all of us are in the wrong place. Because this courtroom belongs to us. We're veterans. We spilled blood for this country. And we own these courts. And um, it was a pretty interesting scenario that happened quite a few times. So uh, Mr. Monaghan was a brave guy. And he would get into people's faces. And um, quite a few times the bailiffs would take him outside that courtroom. And when they found out and the judge found out that he was also the secretary of the Democratic Party in Illinois for Proviso Township, and he probably uh, could unelect quite a few of them. And I, I remember one instance where he told the bailiff to tell that little lady up on the bench that if she is biased or nasty to that little girl one time in this courtroom, they will be throwing out judicial complaints. And she better go get fitted for a garbage man suit because she won't be a judge this election cycle because the veteran community will take her out of that job that she does not deserve with uh, the attitude and bias she's displaying. And uh, it was it was a very powerful thing. Um, so doing that, um, me and John talked. He was getting sicker. He had uh, congestive heart failure from his PTSD and his Agent Orange exposure. So John said, Nick, um, I want to work on a project. We have all these disabled vets. And also, we, we, John was close friends with Ed Crosby, as was I. And, um, you know, a lot of these, this, these veterans, they go to war. They're in perfect physical shape. A lot of them could be professional athletes, um, without a doubt. And they, and they go into this combat situation and they get these IEDs. You can't even fight an IED. It just, when it goes off, you, you, there's nothing you can do. It just, life has changed from that moment on. So these kids come home. They're missing arms, legs. Their minds are shattered. And um, I have been very 
folks in the in the veteran community have experienced a lot in the way of suicides. And two of the biggest suicide um, issues are one, survivor's guilt, and two, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's that they're a burden on their family. And um, I hear people say, well, you know, people who commit suicide are selfish. Um, I rebut that statement a thousandfold. It takes a lot of courage to do something like that, commit suicide. And they do it because they think they're a burden on their family. So John said, what if we take these kids that are, that are um, disabled and we could put them into a situation where they could study and learn court process and, and they're knowledgeable in the court process. And now we take these kids that are so handicapped and feel like um, they have nothing to contribute to society and we put these guys in wheelchairs and that in the, in the courtrooms and they have a clipboard and their clipboard is there to uh, make a check. When they see a bias happen, they look at their watch, they note the time so they can match it with the transcripts or the videotape. The Title 28, Section 753B, the, all court cases are videotaped. And um, it's because they got to match how they're going to prove these cases. So, um, so John suggested we put these kids in the courtroom and they're there to watch for bias and constitutional violations, the very thing that they fought for, our Constitution. And, um, and, and the presence of these veterans in the courtroom would be like mom and dad in a room with a bunch of unruly kids. And, and I witnessed the effect that these five to six or seven veterans had on the whole disposition of that courtroom. And even the people that wanted to cause trouble in the peanut gallery, they shut up. And um, it was an amazing, amazing thing. And so that's why uh, I asked Fred to come on. You know, in Chicago, Mr. Schmollett um, has done Chicago a great service. Um, here he is, um, self-righteous, self-entitled actor. And... And because of what he's done with our, again, lovely, lovely um, judicial system in Chicago, he has shined the light of the whole nation on the corruption in the courts and the judiciary um, of Chicago. And I believe it's a good time now to bring Mr. Monahan's dream to uh, fruition by um, trying to get these veterans together and train them. Uh, what I would like to see is veteran groups write letters of support for this concept um, because uh, it's going to take a lot of push to get this done. You know, bad boys and girls don't want to play ball unless they got to. And so if the veteran community, the veteran community is so powerful and uh, they don't, a lot of them are not really aware of how powerful they are, but the veteran vote is tremendous, you know, Mr. Monaghan, as a secretary of, of the Democratic Party and running campaigns, taught me quite a bit. And uh, he said, Nick, when Mr. Daly got elected, the original Mr. Daly, he would get all these city workers together. And he would tell them, you're going to vote the way I want you guys to vote and who I want you to elect. And I want you and your family members to elect these people. So when you go back to your family on election day, all you city workers, you vote the way Papa Daly wants you to. Otherwise, if my guys don't get in, you don't have a job. Get my drift. So you would take maybe 80,000 city employees times three to five family members, and you would pretty come close to every single election in Chicago of the amount of votes cast. And so the same thing applies to the veteran community. You have the veterans and you have three to five family members. And it would only take something as simple as that to unelect people that aren't doing the right thing and doing their job. And it's the same principle. It's just flipping the pancake over. And, um, and, um, and it was funny because a couple politicians told John, where did you learn this? And John said, from you. <laughs> It was quite humorous. So, but anyway, that's what I came on the show for, to see if there's any veteran organizations out there that would, if they want to get involved, if you're working with disabled vets, 
and you think this would be a good fit for your organization, that would be awesome. Um, right now I'm talking to a congressman. I had a nice long hour discussion with the attorney general's office here in Chicago, and they could not out-argue me, and, um, and they even agreed that something is definitely needed. And um, so uh, my request is for veterans or veteran organizations that if they want to get involved in even just in writing a letter of support from their organization that they believe this would be a great idea and, and um, well worth the effort um, to uh, send me an email, veteransforum at yahoo.com, or if you're from the South, it would be yahoo.com. So um, that's pretty much much it, uh, Fred. Um, Yep. And uh, I've met Mr. Monahan on a couple of occasions, Mick. He was a short guy, as I recall. Uh, My God, the number of stories he must have had packed away that he could share about politics here in Chicago. Yeah, he was a classic, that's for sure. He didn't back down from anybody. And Proviso Township, where he was at, was uh, known for quite a quite a bunch of rough people out that that neck of the woods. And Mr. Monahan was um, fit right in when it comes to being rough. He was right there in in the in the midst of it. You know, his his little Irish attitude sure showed through. Yeah, what, what suburbs is that township? Is that uh, Palos? No, no, it's Hillside. It's over on. Uh, Way west side. Okay. Oh, west side. Got it. Okay. And Proviso, Hillside. Yeah. It's about, it's about Roosevelt Road and, and uh, 294. Got it. Okay, yeah. Yeah. A lot of trucking and logistic companies out there. Yep. Oh, oh yeah. That's it. And um, I wrote a resolution to honor John. Yep. For going into court with these women, um, the resolution we are looking at June, but the new mayor coming into Chicago will be busy putting her cabinet in place. So the resolution will be read into the record in the, either the first city council meeting of July, and the, the city council meeting every month is the first Wednesday of the month, you know, or it'll be because these aldermen have voted themselves a month off but they still have to have 12 council meetings. So they do one other council meeting at the end of July, and then they take the whole month of August off. And uh, so it'll be one of the two council meetings in July. We're hoping for the first one, the first Wednesday. And um, so um, I got to look at the date because I'm, I'm, something tells me July 4th is there. And if it's July 4th, they're going to they're gonna move that meeting. Okay, yeah. Yep. So, but I, a lot of the women that John helped in court and got their kids back um, organizing this veteran thing in court um, will be there to honor him. Obviously, his daughters will be there. And quite a few of his veteran buddies and a lot of his bikers uh, that John, you can actually see John on. He used to host my show along with Fred. He used to host quite a few of my shows on TV, and Mr. Monahan, um, you can see him if you type in B-SPAN Christmas shows. You'll see him hosting the show with uh, Santa Claus and all his bikers. Santa Claus is the, the same Santa Claus from Toys for Tots. He's been Santa Claus for 30-something years. And all his, all his biker elves who are hysterical. And um, we would have a Christmas show for all veteran families that couldn't afford toys for their kids. They would never mention their names or put the veterans on the air, but their kids would be on the air. And uh, and the one Christmas, Santa and his elves delivered such a great um, killing for these kids. Um, each kid went home with over thirty toys apiece. It was amazing. And um, Wait, so, so and then, that, that attended the, uh, the 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 showing at the studio. Yeah, yeah, the kids in the studio ended up getting 30 toys, 
Um, Mr. Manahan, we we started out asking for volunteer performers. So I had um, uh, Chosen, which was a a black gospel choir. They were were just phenomenal. And uh, Pastor Brian Jones. So we we had a 40-piece gospel choir. Then I got a call from my friend Cal Starr, who used to be on the Grand Old Opry. He had a couple of hit songs in 1960 and 61, and um, he wanted to sing to the kids. So I said, sure, Cal, come on on. And then Cal brought his buddy, Franco. Franco ended up taking one of the places of one of the um, tenors, one of the three tenor opera singers. And... Um, so uh, Pavarotti or one of the, whoever died, Franco replaced him in the three tenors across the world. And then Franco's oh. girlfriend wanted to come on. So Franco's girlfriend, well, I can't remember her name offhand, she came on. And then from there, she knew the second or third most known Elvis imitator who happened to be an Air Force veteran. So then we had Elvis. Uh, and, and then we had... Um, uh, Chris, whose father was a Vietnam vet, and he was um, he was a ventriloquist, and he brought a duck. So we had a gospel choir, um, uh, country music, grand old Opry star. We had two famous opera singers, Elvis and a duck, <laughs> and Santa Claus, and, and Santa Claus. This, and a bunch a live, of this is a live show too, right? Well, it was live. It was just nuts, and that's what made it so much fun. Is, is anything can happen. And, you know, Fred, you did a bunch of live shows with me, and they're, they're always interesting as hell, ain't they? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know how we pull that stuff off. I, I, I think I did about at least 10, uh, if not, you know, uh, you know, 10 or 12 over the years. But, man, they, 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 uh, we had fun. We had fun. Oh, yeah, they're exciting. Live shows are definitely exciting. Yep, gosh. Well, <clears throat> Nick, you're going to present this. Uh, the congressman that you're dealing with, I won't mention his name, uh, uh, <clears throat> if this starts, it could start right here in Chicago and, and be I mean, it's got to, it, it, I mean, what, what you're doing is you're reaching out to these veteran groups. So you're, you're presenting, yes, it can be done here in Chicago, but it began, it began everywhere. And uh, the veterans are getting older and older, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's uh, we need veterans in the courtroom. We really do. We, we, we need uh, somebody, somebody's got to watch these well-dressed kids because quite a few of these lawyers and, and a lot of these judges just can't seem to um, behave themselves. And uh, they run roughshod over people. And um, my concept of Mr. Monahan's concept is that the veterans are not there for either side, not the, not the plaintiff or the... Uh, respondent or whatever they're not there for either side they're there strictly to make sure that officers of the court are not being biased not being nasty to people and not violating constitutional rights that they fought for and that's it and um they're they're they were not going to speak up in court they just have a kind of like a scorecard and and once they treat, once they're trained in legal process, and to recognize um, things, then they 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 write the case, the case number down, and they listen. They're there for to watch, and when they see a violation, they look at their watch, they note the time, they write whether it's a biased act, it's a um, slanderous one lawyer or lawyers calling each other or clients' names, or the judge being biased or the judge being abusive, um, and that's all they're there for, to, mm-hmm. to bring, back, bring back some real decorum in that courtroom, and, and, and um, you know, I hate to say it, but uh, I've been in some of them courtrooms that would make Nancy Pelosi look like a Girl Scout, and uh, so um, it's just, just <laughs> amazing. 
So uh, that's 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 the concept. And uh, also the other concept is take these disabled veterans and give them a job that's very well deserving of them. One again, watching out for our freedoms right here in our own backyard. And um, we're going to ask for them to be paid and and not for it to be deducted from their disability pay. So sometimes in the VA, when you are making disability money and you make something else, um, they could take your disability away. So we're going to ask them because this is a, a um, service, a needed service, and a constitutional and uh, incredibly important service. And um, so we're going to make these these veterans um, on the level that they need to be treated because um, they served, they they've lost um, for our service and, and our country, and and they cannot be dishonored. And uh, this is for them to watch. This is they earned it. They deserve it. And um, and and there could be no better mom and dad than a whole bunch of people that served our country and have paid dearly for it. And uh, these these people that are earning so much money with legal fees three four five six seven hundred dollars an hour, and um, they have nothing to say to these kids that have given so much for us. Vic, before you go. Uh... Back in February of 2007, when, when uh, we were finishing up with our project with Aaron Russo, uh, you helped me organize the introduction of Sheila Mannix as a special guest on our show. Sheila came on once or twice, but the first time she came on, I'll never forget, uh, it was the week that I, along with you and many other volunteers packed that courtroom in downtown Chicago mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> the snow fell it was I, I remember the exact day it was February 23rd 2000 and uh, actually I'll take that back it, it was February 23rd 2006 or 2007 Nick what do you think I thought it was 2000. 2006, because 2007, February and March. 2006, you're right, 2006. Yeah, February 2007 is when I I got Ed Crosby here, and we did the show with Ed. Okay, I I take that back. It it was was a year prior, but uh, I I had just started working with Aaron that month uh, in 2006, Launching the whole thing, we, uh, but, but, uh, yeah, Sheila Mannix was in that courtroom putting into the record some very important facts that should not have been, uh, put in the record. And the judge, uh, mysteriously within a week passed away, Judge Monahan. You remember that? Um, no, I don't. I don't remember the judge passing away, but I do remember Sheila putting things into the record. And, um, and then we taught Sheila our little trick from the veterans of making public documents out of them and, and getting around the judicial discretion. But, um, again, they've put in all kinds of rules where you can't do that right now. And it, it all needs to be challenged on constitutionality, but it was... Because I, I, I've made many, many public filings in the courts on, on behalf of We the People and my, my, my work. And I got Rose Lear, she's on the call tonight. Uh, she, she was very active in doing that. So, we, yeah, we, got, we had a lot of people doing that back in the day. But uh, Sheila's still around Chicago, right, Nick? Well, I talked to her about uh, two, three months ago. She's excited. Matter of fact, she's going to be there when they read the resolution into the record. And, um, oh, awesome. And um, she's, uh, um, she had this lawyer, this young lawyer, Mike, who was hysterical. We had him go in the court. I have two girls. They're daughters of Vietnam vets. One girl has, um, she's born with an ADHD, so she has attention deficit. 
she has a very bad problem of absorbing uh, information right away. It, she has she's a very slow processor. Um, she's very stunningly beautiful blonde, and uh, her husband's a total whack job, a narcissist, control freak. Makes a quarter million with the city of Chicago. Um, she was a stay-at-home mom. He abused her so bad, uh, control-wise, narcissist, emotionally, and uh, and the kids. Um, she finally had courage enough to um, to uh, ask for a divorce, to stand up for herself and, and get a divorce. This little thing is so abused that when you, you sit next to her, if somebody even raises their voice close to her, she'll start shaking like a leaf. And... Um, so oh we started helping her in court. Uh, Ed Crosby did a fabulous job. I uh, right before Ed died, he wrote up all her case. He wrote he wrote up her case, and in her case, the husband had this lawyer, and uh, the 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 husband took the kids, and right after they were divorced, um, the day of the divorce was her parenting time. So he kept the kid. And from that point on, the husband never gave up the child uh, for months. So she got a lawyer, and in the process, Ed looked at her case because he was afraid she wasn't going to get a lawyer. So Ed said, hey, look, look at here. Um, This lawyer says that um, they're ordering her to have an evaluation because the husband's claiming she's crazy. Um, and that's what they do with a lot of women. They tell, they convince the court that they're crazy and, and um, are not fit to be a mother. And that's that's the basis almost every single time to take the kids from the mother. But anyway, they uh, in this court, the, the lawyer lied and said the recommended evaluation was prerequisite. It was required. And then the lawyer committed a total fraud on the court by stating that the therapist who recommended the evaluation was a doctor. And um, I have a couple friends that are fraud examiners, and they pulled up this lady's record. She is nothing close to a doctor. So Ed got violently angry at what they do to these girls. I have another girl who uh, won the first half of her case, got her deadbeat ex to pay up for support that he never paid, then his father is a convicted pedophile and, and child trafficker, spent five years in federal prison under the Man Act. And um, so the daughter is beautiful, like the mother, and she's 14, and she's very well developed, if you know what I mean. And so the grandfather wants to have unsupervised visits with the daughter. It's like, are you kidding me? And the daughter has been, uh, has a guardian light in appointed by the court for her. So this whack job guardian at Lightham is going, he's supposed to be working for the best interest of the child, but his whole thing is to try and get this old man uh, unsupervised visits with this kid. And the guardian at Lightham have absolute immunity. You can't do anything to him. And he laughs at uh, the mother. The grandfather has bought the child bras and panties. You know, I have a 14-year-old daughter. I don't, I don't buy my kid bras and panties. And, yeah. and the, grandpa, the grandfather buys her all kinds of electronic equipment and Daisy Duke shorts and, and tube tops. I said, you know, this guy's grooming her. He's going to get his hands on her groom. Her kid's going to disappear. And, uh, and this guardian light him. He could care less. He just laughs at the mother. So um, Ed, Ed helped her with her case, and Ed's helping this other girl with these lawyers that are committing just absolute total fraud on the court. And I mean, and that's just one of, of tens of hundreds. And um, that's why we need these veterans in the courts. Wow. Oh, Mick, uh, just real quick, before we let you go, uh, anybody out there want to make a comment about your personal experience or what Mick has presented tonight? If you know a veteran, or know somebody who knows a veteran, uh, we need to know, we need to share this concept. Nick's got it all written up. Uh, he's going to be uh, formalizing this in the next month or so, and hopefully by this summer we'll maybe have a, a working template to, to use here in Chicago and that can be shared around the country. 
But if you if you know of a veteran or like this story, uh, Nick's email address is uh, what is it again? Nick Veterans Forum at Yahoo, right? Yeah, Veterans Forum at Yahoo.com. Is that Veterans with an S or Veterans Singular? No, Veterans with an S. With an S. Okay, got it. Yeah, probably be nice if Jim Palmazano uh, involved with that too, Fred. I'm, I wish he'd been on the call tonight too. Oh, yeah. Jim helped Ed Crosby out a lot, Nick, down yep. there yep. in Springfield the last year or two. Okay. That would be awesome. Nick, uh, the, the, real quick, before you go, Jennifer, who was with Ed down there, Ed's close friend, did she ever send some of those materials up to you? Or are you going to go down, or is that being saved? For no, I, I haven't. I haven't heard from anybody um, since they told me that they buried Ed in um, in a in a veteran cemetery down in Springfield. They were, they were supposed to call me and give me the address of the cemetery and everything, but I, I haven't heard from anybody. Sheila was the one girl and the other Sheila. one. Do you have her number still, Nick? I probably do. I'd have to look. Okay, because maybe if you don't, Jim probably has it. We should probably make, make, make an effort to reconnect you with Sheila. Cause that, that would be awesome. Because you know, so, we just can't have those materials just thrown out in the back dumpster. And uh, I, I don't know. know. There's a lot I'm, of stuff uh, there. I'm sorry, his website took so long to get back up before he died. And then I was very disappointed that whoever was putting his website up then did not add his old website to keep to have all the codes on there. And uh, the new website doesn't have the codes. Oh, Dan. Hmm. Yep. You know, and those codes are 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 specific to your branch of service. So if you're a Marine or an Army or Air Force, there's different codes. The SPN number is different. Okay. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, Mick, thank you for all you've done uh, over the years for, for this cause. Uh, uh, and, and God bless to your wife, who's got still under the weather with cancer. Uh, my God, you've endured so much. Holy cow. Uh, uh, well, she's, uh, the cancer's not in remission, but it's... It's uh, holding. She has terminal lung and brain cancer. So, oh my God, that's what my 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 mother's sister got lung cancer, Mick, and she never really smoked. Many many years ago, she smoked a little bit, but you know, lung cancer can hit people uh, who don't don't smoke. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Well, you know, it, it, it's a good possibility it's the radon in the ground coming up. So, oh, really? Oh, yeah, different, different areas have higher level. I even, uh, when I was down in the city council, there was a couple aldermen who told me the south side where I'm at, especially the southeast side over by the lake, yeah. has incredibly high cancer rates. So, oh yeah, uh, all around Hammond, where my wife grew up, uh, it, it, all these chemical uh, manufacturers, the, the 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 level of cancer, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's really something. But they southeast Dalton, you know, the east side, uh, all all that is very bad. All right. Well, Mick, thank you for coming on. We said it was going to be a short wrap tonight. Uh, anybody else out there want to make a comment or, que or question real quick for Mick? We're going to close this part of the call, and I, I got to hop home, guys. I'm pretty far, far from home. But uh, well, thank you for thanks, Mick. Presenting. Thanks, Mick, for coming on. We really appreciate hearing. We would never hear that stuff anywhere else. So thank you That's so much right. for your time and for coming with us. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Appreciate that. If Will, 
if Ray Lou is out there, I just want to say hi. I met her a long time ago with uh, Dan Metter and uh, Michael Brown and Ed Griffin and Bob Hopper. And um, when uh, I was working with them guys and um, on uh, different projects, but uh, I do remember Rose Lear. She was a sweetheart. So, yeah. Uh, we'll pass yeah, that she... along, Nick. Yep. Good. Well, sounds, sounds good. Well, Nick, hope the weather turns uh, back warm again. I'm, I'm getting tired of this cold weather here in Chicago. <laughs> Yeah. All we need to do is have the politicians shut their mouth and it'll get warm. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. <laughs> That's great. Well, Mick, uh, let me know when you're going to, that official reading of the Monaghan uh, message. Maybe I could get down there and, and join you guys on the on the floor of uh, city council. I don't know if they'll let, let me, is there, is there a, is there a, uh, uh, cheap seats, you could, like a public gallery. You can look down. Oh yeah, you you can you can stand in there. You can stand in there. They got gallery. They got seats for guests. And um, usually they have the meeting. The meeting you got to get there by eight. You got to go through the Maverick Tech. But the meeting starts like nine. And uh, usually they're out of there by one o'clock. These guys, you know, they they don't want to stay one minute past one o'clock. And usually around noon, they run out of stuff to make it look like they're important. And then so usually around noon, usually around noon, they start reading um, dedications and stuff or whatever, all the special stuff. And uh, so it'll, it'll probably be around noon, 1230, and they'll read Mr. Monaghan's resolution. And, and the great thing about it is it, it will become a permanent record in Chicago. And, and here's a permanent record of John standing up to corruption in the courts, a veteran, doing what veterans do. Because, you know, veterans swear an oath, and they're under that oath forever. Right. And, uh, and, and so and Mr. Monaghan took his oath serious. And, um, and he sure was a character in that courts. He had no fear. So. Great guy. Great man. Great, great guy. And Robert Allen Jones, he was another great man. Thank, I was uh, blessed, to, very honored to to have met him as well many years ago. Oh yeah, he he liked us. He thought we were characters. And uh, <laughs> um, I uh, this is a true story about Robert Allen Jones and me. We were and Fred, you were here when he did that. Um, we, me and Fred, did a show with Gene Zorick, who uh, was in the courts in federal court and he worked for the city and he supported Mayor Daly, but Mayor Washington won the election. And so Mayor Washington fired Mr. Zorick and he can't do that because you can't fire people for political reasons. And uh, so Mr. Zorick filed a Shackman decree, took him years to uh, get to court. By the time he got there, Mr. Daly was uh, the mayor, but uh, Gene was going to win. So Mr. Daly didn't want, Gene to win because now Mr. Daly can't fire people that are against him. So now Mr. Zorick is his enemy, not his friend anymore. So, so Gene's in court. He proved his case beyond a, re, a shadow of a doubt. And what happened when they ruled on his case turns out they altered the court transcript. They changed the record, and uh, and Gene caught him red-handed. And uh, that's how come we know Title Twenty-Eight, Section Seven Fifty-Three B about the videotapes of the court because if the transcripts don't match, you ask for the videotape and you put the two together and, and while we bozo, uh, here we go. And uh, somebody's in trouble. And uh, so we just happen to have Mr. Robert Allen Jones who is fighting a case against the IRS. And um, so I told Mr. Zorick and, uh, and Fred at the time, Mr. Jones was a U.S. attorney, formerly head of the Justice Department. I, I didn't even know him very well then or at all. And so Robert Allen Jones came on the, the show to talk about his case. So we combined the shows, about shenanigans of pulling in his IRS cases. So he's a criminal defense attorney now against the IRS. So he was on the show with Fred and Gene Zorick and... Um, I told Fred and Gene, I said, hey, Fred, 
you know, Title 18, Section 4, Miss Prison of Felon, I said, we can't get anybody to do anything about this, these uh, altering the transcripts. I said, this guy's a U.S. attorney. So uh, they're like, okay, that's great. What do we do? I said, well, let's set them up. I said, right live on the air, let's put him under notice for Title 18, Section 4, Miss Prison of Felon. And now he has to do something because if you're an officer of court and you have knowledge or evidence of a crime and you don't do anything about it, you become part of it. So remember this, Fred? So live on the air, we noticed Mr. Jones of Title 18, Section 4, and I swear to God, he looked right through the camera. He was looking at me in the control room. And so, so when, the, when, when the show was over, my great, loyal, and wonderful crew, Mr. Jones came up to us, and he says, okay, gentlemen, that was cute. He goes, whose brilliant idea was that? Fred, Gene, and everybody in the camera crew and everybody pointed right at me. So I'm like, I'm, I'm like thanks, guys. And so uh, Mr. Jones said, well, Nick, I'd like to, I'd like to take you out for a steak dinner. And I go, no, 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 that's okay, Mr. Jones. I know you're going to take me somewhere and you're going to tell me to stay on the plastic because it's hard to get blood out of the carpet, right? (laughs) (laughs) And and he says, no, 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 I'm serious. I'm going to take you out for a steak dinner. Well, he didn't have a ride home. He lived, he stayed in a hotel by me. I said, all right, Mr. Jones, I'll take you home. So all the way home, he's talking to me, and I drop him off the hotel. He goes, no, 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 you're having a steak dinner. So I went in the hotel with him, and... um, we sat in a restaurant, and I ordered a hamburger. He took the menu out of my hand, and he goes, I told you, you're having a steak dinner. So he ordered me the best steak in the house, uh-huh. and he knew, he knew I used to be an iron worker. So he goes, uh, Nick, you want a beer? I said, well, you know, iron workers, we don't, we don't, and carpenters, we don't call beer soda, we call beer, we call them soda pops because of OSHA on the job. We can't drink, but we're not drinking, we're having soda pop. So uh, that's uh, <laughs> So anyway... <laughs> So, so Mr. Jones says, I'm going to buy you a couple of soda pops. I said, well, that'd be great, Mr. Jones. So uh, I'm drinking five, six beers, and I ate my steak, and Mr. Jones goes, well, did you enjoy that, Nick? I said, yeah, Mr. Jones, that was great. That was really nice of you. I said, um, why would you buy me a steak dinner, though? I don't get it. I said, because of because of my slip maneuver to uh, notice you at Title 18? He goes, nope. And I go, oh. Because all the shenanigans I pull and get away with, he goes, no. I go, okay, I give up. I could buy me a steak dinner. He said, because if you keep going at people on a frontal assault like that, they're going to kill you, and I'm going to be the person to buy your last meal. (laughs) 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 Oh, boy. And that's right. That's a true story how I met Mr. Robert Allen Jones, former head of the Justice Department, and that's how we became friends. And he worked with me on a lot of veteran cases and helping veterans, and uh, we used to, we nicknamed him Dad. Wow. Yeah. That was a fun fun period, Vic. Vic, thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless your wife. Uh, Godspeed to you. Let me know about the July uh, reading of the Monahan resolution. I'd love to love to attend. We could have uh, have a steak uh, for lunch. <laughs> I'll, I'll split it with you. Well, when we're done with the resolution, Fred, we're going to walk over to a big fancy hotel down the block, and we're all going to have a, a warm drink on Mr. Monahan. There you go. Okay, so. sounds good. All right, sounds good. Well, I, should, I should say a soda pop. <laughs> 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 All right, Nick. Nick, thanks for thanks for coming on, and uh, the, this is a wrap, guys. We'll see you next week. I'm gonna still try to get. Uh, it's either gonna be uh, Carl Swenson or or uh, Wayne Walton next week. Uh, if you have any recommendations for guests, let me know, everyone. Just send Steve an email or me an email or Dee an email, and yep. uh, hope the weather turns for all of us. Yep. Take care, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Mick. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Stay Fred. Be safe. Take care. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. A-U-N. American Underground Network.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.